Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Hi there, thanks for joining us again today. My name is Becca, I'm one of the co-pastors here and we're just so glad that you're here. We are at the center point today of this series that we have been in since January on the Apostles' Creed, this historic confession of the Christian faith. Today marks week seven out of 13. We're right smack dab in the middle of the series, but uh, more importantly than that, uh, more than just reading, reaching the, the center point numerically, we're really at the center point theologically of the Apostles' Creed. Today we are talking about what is absolutely center, what is central to the Christian faith. Of course, every part of the Creed is important, absolutely, but without what we're going to talk about today, none of the rest of it exists. For without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no creed. There is no Christianity. There is no church. There is no us. Some of you have noticed, as you've read through the Apostles' Creed, you've noticed and you've pointed out to us and you've asked, you know, it spends a lot of time talking about Jesus, but it leaves a lot of Jesus out, right? And it doesn't say anything about his life. It doesn't say anything about his, his teaching. It doesn't say anything about his miracles, his healings, all of that. And that, that's all super important, right? Why doesn't the creed talk about it? it? It starts with his birth. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And then it jumps straight 33 years later to suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. What about all that, that middle stuff? And I'll say there's a lot of potential scholarly answers out there that Dave could probably give you, but what I'll say just limitedly now is, th is this. I think the creed is, is limited in this way and what it says about Jesus, because the reality is that Christianity at its heart is, is not a set of ethical teachings, although of course it contains them. Christianity is not a set of practices, though if you follow Jesus, you'll, you'll want to adopt his way of life. Christianity, at its core, central to the Christian faith, is the steadfast belief that something happened in history. Really, truly, and actually, Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, suffered, died, descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. It happened. It really, really happened. And because it happened, everything changed. This is what we believe. It's what the Apostle Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read some verses from that here in just a few minutes. This passage of scripture is, is what scholars believe to be the, the earliest account of Jesus' resurrection. Scholars tell us that Paul wrote this letter probably around 53, 54 AD, just 20 years after that first Easter. 20 years. It's like somebody writing today about events that happened 
in 2001. So we remember 2001, right? It's not that long ago. A lot of things that happened in 2001 that probably most of us remember quite well. The very first Harry Potter was a box office hit. Apple released their very first iPod in 2001, if you can believe it. But there's one event I know for, for most of us, one event that stands out in all of our minds. When somebody mentions 2001, this is where our mind goes, and that's to September 11th. That happened in 2001. It was 20 years ago, but most of us can remember with vivid detail exactly where we were, what we were doing, the clothes we were wearing, the people we were around when we saw and witnessed the horrific events of that day. So, it would stand to reason, if, if we can remember September 11, 2001 that well, well, just imagine, just imagine you, you knew somebody who died, and then three days later you saw them up, walking, talking, living again. Certainly, even 20 years later, you'd remember that. Well, when Paul wrote these words, there were a number of people still living who had had that exact experience. They had seen the risen Christ with their own eyes. They'd encountered him alive, and Paul was one of them. So here is what he said that they saw. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. He said, friends, let me go over the message with you one more final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own, this message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a pants passing fancy, that you're in this for good and you're holding fast. First thing I did was place before you what placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as the scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as the scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died. That then he spent time with James and the rest, those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth, and you entrusted your lives. So in this passage, this earliest account of Jesus' resurrection, Paul sets out two fundamental facts that form the foundation of the Christian faith, and they're these. One, Jesus Christ really, fully, and truly died. And second, Jesus Christ really, fully, and truly 
came back to life. Those two truths are foundational. They're fundamental to the Christian faith. So I want to want to take each one in its turn. Let's let's look at each one a little more closely together. First, Jesus Christ really fully and truly died. First thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, Paul writes, that the Messiah died for our sins exactly as the scripture tells us, and that he was buried. Last week, Dave talked about the part of the creed that proclaims how Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, and descended into hell. And many of you have come, and you've asked. You said, okay, that, that final line there, that descended into hell line, you're a little confused by that. You know, it's interesting. One of you actually even mentioned that, that the church you grow, grew up in, they, though they recited the creed regularly, they, they left that line out completely. They, they never said it. So when you came here and you heard this line about descended into hell, that was a new and, and somewhat strange and, and a little alarming idea. I wonder if, if some of you listening today can kind of share that. Say, yeah, yeah, I'm not, not so sure about that line. Well, there's, there's some reason for our confusion and, and some reason why some churches have chosen to leave it out. Some churches haven't included it um, because it, we've come to know through study over time that this line actually wasn't uh, in the original creed. In the very, very earliest versions of it, that, that line wasn't there. Uh, it, it starts to show up fourth century, but really isn't fully integrated into the creed until the sixth or, or even eighth century, some scholars say. So because it wasn't there originally, some churches leave it out. But I think it's a little, a little deeper than that. It's not the only reason some churches don't recite this creed, and it's, it's not the only reason why some of us find it a little weird. I mean, one of the reasons that we have a problem with it just has to do with translation. You know, when, when in English we, we have one word for hell, and that word tends to take our, our brains to pictures uh, that, that we imagine from works like Dante's Inferno, right? Kind of fiery cauldrons and, and little demons jumping around the, the place where people go for eternal punishment, right? That, that's kind of what we think of when we think of hell, and we, we don't particularly like thinking about Jesus going there. In reality, though in English we have one word for hell, Greek and Hebrew, they had many. And, and the, they had a word for that kind of hell, the idea of kind of punishment for the wicked. That word was Gehenna. And that's not the word that's used here in the creed. The other words they had were, were, were not so much for hell, but just kind of the, the place of the dead. The, this kind of shadowy, kind of different other location where when you died, that's where one went. And, and words for that are, are Greek Hades or Hebrew Sheol. And so when we come to this place in the creed, the word that's used here is not Gehenna. It's not that, that place of eternal torment. It's just that place of the dead. It's, it's Sheol. Jesus went, descended to the dead. He didn't go and dance around with a bunch of devils with pointy ears. He simply fully died. Jesus went to Sheol, to that land of the dead, like anybody else who has ever died. That's where Jesus went. Jesus really fully, truly died. He didn't just faint. He didn't fall asleep. You know, there's some who have theorized that, that that's what happened. Jesus didn't fully die. He fainted and resuscitated three days later. And in the creed, we say, no, no, no. 
Jesus died. We proclaim that is true, but there's more to it than that. See, Paul proclaims not just that Jesus died, but he tells us why. He says the Messiah died for our sins. Paul tells us, and the creed affirms, that the Messiah, that Jesus died for a reason. I want you to think about it this way. 49 BC, Julius Caesar crossed a small river in a boat with a small legion of men. The name of that river was the Rubicon, and it marked the boundary line between two distinct and separate provinces of Rome. Now, as an event, the crossing of that particular river was nothing special. You know, the river wasn't wide. It had been crossed by many, many boats many different times before. The fact that Caesar crossed the river means very little. But the reason that he crossed it means everything. Because they were crossing that river for a reason. Julius Caesar and his men, by crossing the Rubicon on this day, they knew that they were declaring war. Well, the fact that Jesus died maybe means very little, except for when you get to the reason for it. Jesus' death on the cross and his descent into hell was, in fact, a declaration of war. War against sin, war against death, war against all the powers of evil that have ever existed in this world. That's what we say when we say we believe that Jesus died on that Good Friday day, that Satan's own territory was invaded and it was conquered. It's what the church has traditionally referred to as the harrowing of hell. There's some pieces of of Eastern Orthodox art that just depict it so well. Jesus standing literally in between the jaws of hell, holding them open so that he can reach down to those who have died before and lift them up out of the darkness. So the question we're left with is, well, is that true? Is that what really happened? The reality is we, we don't know. But I have to say, I I really, really hope so. I I hope that that's what happened. Because I love that idea. I love that image of the crucified Christ marching down to the darkest places of hell and just doing, even there, what Jesus does best. Proclaiming the good news. Healing and touching. Seeking and saving the lost. Setting captives free. I hope that that's true. Because you know what? If it is, if Jesus really fully and truly died, if Jesus descended even to hell, well, then that means that you and I can be assured that there is nothing. There's nothing. There's there's no sickness or sadness. There's no depression or darkness. There is no hell in any form that can keep Jesus out. means there's no place that we can wander, no place that our our kids can wander, that Jesus can't get to. There is no place in heaven or in hell that Jesus won't go to rescue his own. 
My friends, we believe that Jesus really, fully, and truly died. And we believe that Jesus really, fully, and truly came back to life. Paul writes, the Messiah died for our sins exactly as Scripture tells us, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day again, exactly as the Scripture says, and that he presented himself alive. You know, as I said before, if there is one article of the Christian faith that is more important than any other, it has to be the resurrection. For without it, there would be no Christian faith. It wasn't the ethical teachings of Jesus or even his death on the cross that that transformed human hearts and gave birth to the church. It was the resurrection. It was the life-altering, world-transforming news that on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. Everything in our faith depends on this one fact. Now, can we prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it happened? No, we can't. But I will say, in the case of the resurrection, it just so happens that that we've got some pretty good evidence to back up our, our beliefs. I'll mention just a few examples briefly. First, the tomb was empty and nobody could produce a body. You know, they were saying that, that, that early on when Jesus resurrected, they were saying, oh, oh, somebody just, just stole the body. They kind of tried to spread that rumor around. But reality is they never found the body. If Jesus' enemies really wanted to disprove the resurrection, all they would have to do is show the body, say, there he is, he's dead. Rumor's done. The reality is they never did produce a body because they couldn't produce a body. It didn't exist. Jesus was alive. Second, as Paul indicates and as the Gospels attest, Jesus was seen by a whole lot of people after he was raised. He he talked with them. He ate meals with them. He he prayed with them. (laughs) You know, in a court of law, you know what it takes to prove whether a person's innocent or guilty? Two witnesses. Jesus had over 500, 500 people who testified, some of whom who gave their lives testifying that they had in fact seen the risen Christ. And third, probably most compelling to me was just this incredible change that took place in the disciples themselves. You can read about this. When, when you read the accounts of the crucifixion, they are cowering in terror. But after Easter, they're changed. They're out fearlessly proclaiming the risen Christ in face of ridicule, in face of persecution, in face of even death. What made the difference? Well, I believe it's because Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you can read, read about these. You, you, there's more than this. You can follow up, read your own uh, study of this. A, a lot of it can be found in a really great book by Lee Strobel. It's called The Case for Christ. 
And in this book, you actually read Lee Strobel's own story from atheism to becoming a committed Christian as he kind of dug in and explored whether or not these, these claims of the Christian faith could possibly be true. And it's in the final section of this book that, that he interviews a man named Gary Habermas, Dr. Gary Habermas. He's a professor of theology and philosophy. And, and with this, this professor, they go over all of the historical data and they put together a really powerful and pretty compelling case for the truth of Easter. But what's best is at the close of this chapter, Dr. Habermas tells his own story about how when the resurrection became much, much more to him than just a, a theological truth. Happened in 1995 when his wife, Debbie, slowly died of stomach cancer. Here's what he said. He said, I sat on our porch. My wife was upstairs dying. It was an awful time. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen. As I would sit there, I'd picture Job who went through all that terrible stuff and asked questions of God, but then God turned the tables and asked him a few questions. I knew if God were to come to me, I'd only ask one question. Lord, why is Debbie up there in bed? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? And I'd say, come on, Lord, I've written several books on the topic. Of course he was raised from the dead. But I want to know about Debbie. And I think he'd keep on coming back to the same question. Did I raise my son from the dead? Until I got his point. The resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. That's not some sermon. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie was raised. And I will be someday too. And then I'll see them both. You know, I, I have to wonder. wonder if that's the question that God is asking you and me this morning. Did I raise my son from the dead? We may have different answers to that question. A lot of us, were coming from different places. We vary on our ability to fully and truly say, yes, Lord, I believe. Some of you today, you're still searching. You know, you're still thinking about it. You're, you're wondering, you're not sure. And I have to say, we're, we're, we're so glad you're here. Keep searching. Maybe for, for some of you, you've gotten to the point where, where you accept the idea of the resurrection intellectually. You can say, yes, I, I believe that probably happened. I think it's true. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. But you've never responded personally. You've never let that knowledge move from your head to your heart. That's true of you, and I gotta say in my experience, that's true of a lot of Presbyterians. That's true of you, I wanna encourage you today to take a step, and we're making it as 
easy as possible for you to do so. We've got this I Believe class. It's starting today. It's on Zoom at 11 o'clock. And, and you can sign on even if you didn't sign up. It's, it's just a safe and loving environment where you can explore your faith and consider really making that commitment, really saying yes to Jesus Christ. And man, we would love for you to come. And I will say, if you are watching or, or listening to this message after 11 o'clock on Sunday, February 21st, but you're feeling a stirring in your heart, do not let schedules stop you. We will find a way to get you connected. We want you to be able to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Because I'll tell you, this is why Paoli Presbyterian Church exists. This is why I became a pastor. It's all about this. For me, I know, I know with out a doubt that I am called to point people to Jesus. I am called to point people to Jesus because I believe with all my heart that when they meet him, they are transformed. People who are addicted, they meet Jesus. They say, I met him and he gave me power. People who are alone, they say, I met Jesus and I'm not alone anymore. People who are hopeless. I was hopeless and, and, and now I've got hope. People who were bitter, they say, I met Jesus and I was so angry. But now I know what it means to forgive. So many people in this church, you, you have your stories, I have mine, about how we met Jesus and how he changed our lives. So now, how about you? God's standing before you and he's asking that question. My, my child, my beloved child, did I raise my son from the dead? If you can make that choice, if you can take that leap to say yes to that question, not just in your head, but, but in your heart, but with your life, I promise you, I promise you, your life can be changed. Your past can be forgiven. You can live in the present with hope and joy and, and purpose. And you can have great hope for your future. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, all who put their trust in him are as well. Alive forevermore. And the hope that we have is one day we'll see them. We'll see Jesus, our risen Lord, and we'll see all the people that we love. So yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. I believe he was crucified, dead, and buried. I believe he descended into hell. And I believe... On the third day, he rose again. Thanks be to God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, 
and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God. The Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Amen.